Almost at February, which is, of course, the month that pitchers and catchers report. So baseball is close, folks, but I do believe this is the final episode of January. Uh, are there 31 days in January? I think there are. So Peter and I will talk to you uh, on the final day in January. That's a moot point. Just baseball show. Jack, Aram, Monday, January 30th. We are buying or selling down years in the American League. And the gist of that is we are buying the regression. Like, okay, yes, this guy took a step back. That is what's going to happen at this point in his career. Or selling the regression, saying, you know what? I believe in this guy. Uh, He's going to bounce back. So it might be a little backwards than what you initially perceived. We also got to talk about Jeff McNeil signing his extension with the Mets off the top. But first and foremost, the football was excellent yesterday. I sat down for both NFL football games. First time all year I sat down for multiple NFL football games, and I was not disappointed at all. Yeah, first one was a little little sad um, just to, to have it go that way. Uh, but uh, the second game, you know, to, to, to have that, it was everything you wanted, right? The, the, the Chiefs and the Bengals, it's everything you could have wanted. I did a little guest spot on Locked on Rays to promote the top 10 prospects was coming out tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and of course, during that time, I missed a couple insane plays, but got back, got to watch the end, uh, was awesome to watch. And, you know, now geared up for the Super Bowl. And I love the Super Bowl because it's always a great event. And then it's that like turning of the page to baseball season, right? Where, you know, then everybody can say, oh, okay, here we go. Now it's time for baseball. And, um, I'm looking forward to that because especially this year with the world baseball classic around the corner, it's like you, you have that, that Super Bowl. You're going to, we're going to turn the page and then the world baseball classic will be a week or two away, uh, which is absolutely beautiful. So we've got the appetizer before the big thing uh, with the WBC and and we're almost there. That's such a baseball person thing to like record locked on Rays during the AFC championship game. Um, yeah. I was, I'm in a group text with a bunch of my college buddies and one of them, Cooper Boardman is uh, one of the mm-hmm. broadcasters for the Worcester Red Sox. So yeah, AAA awesome. for the Red Sox, he's great. He's a he'll be a big league announcer. broadcaster. Put me on record saying that. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Um, and and he's a great friend. But uh, we we were talking about um, somebody made a joke, and and I said, uh, you know, they were like, hey, another slider in the dirt. Nobody's chasing that. And I was like, I've got Javier Baez on line one, and, and that started a conversation, and. I said, Cooper's actually going to see an outfield of Jaron Duran, Rymel Tapia, and Greg Allen at Polar Park in Worcester this year. And uh, <laughs> Cooper replied and said, Rymel Tapia reference on conference championship Sunday. Outstanding. But like, yeah. that's how baseball people tick, right? Of, of course. <laughs> of course. Which is actually funny. That That's going to be a, a, some kind of outfield <laughs> for the Red Sox out there. And I guarantee we'll, we'll probably see both of those guys at the big league level at some point. Actually, all three at the big league level at some point this coming season. But yeah, I mean, that's I was doing a little bit of uh, data mining during the uh, during the games. But th- this was one of those that especially the second game definitely captured my attention. 
um, and, and, and was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Um, all right. Two. I lied. So we got McNeil and then we also have Yandy Diaz, um, who's close to an extension. But as of right now, we've got Jeff McNeil signing an extension with the Mets four years, $50 million. And, and my first takeaway here, obviously, is great deal. Right. You, you've got the guy that just won the batting title last year and you've got him on a multi-year $50 million extension. Like that's nothing. Right. They're paying him less than 15 AAV. You got to feel really good about that. The other thing that jumps out to me is. Steve Cohen, Billy Epler, and Buck Showalter have just extended the window of decision-making for the New York Mets. And we talked about that a little bit earlier in this offseason, where McNeil and Alonso were coming off the books at the same exact time. And I think Scherzer is off the books when Alonso is due for an extension and when McNeil was due for an extension. So you had this clear-cut year like after the 2024 season where you were either going to blow it up and go another direction or you were going to push all the chips back in. I think doing this, you created, you know, almost like an extended window because now instead of deciding on three or four of your main pieces, you only have to decide on two in Scherzer, who's going to be 40 and Pete Alonzo, who I think is going to get a massive bat. Exactly. And I think that's, that's, what they're looking at here is, you know, right now they've got the team that I think they're ready for a World Series push these next two years. We've talked about kind of that window, but, you know, you also have to identify the guys on this current team that can be part of that next window because they're not rebuilding, right? They're never going to rebuild. They're going to have a good core and they're going to go spend or trade and, and go add other big pieces and, and superstar type players to replace the Verlanders, the Scherzers, the Martes of the world that, you know, are probably going to be aged out of that next window in a couple years. So, you know, McNeil, of course, is one of those guys that his game's going to age well. And even though he's already, you know, 30, 31 years old, um, which is crazy that he had two years of arbitration left as a guy that's already 30, 31 years old. Uh, but I'm that's why I'm even more glad that he got his bag here. And uh, but this is a guy that his game's going to age well, right? So for the next four or five years, you know that this is going to be a player that's going to continue to do what he does. I agree, Alonzo is a guy that you should definitely be locking up as well. And then, you know, at that point, they'll probably know what they've got with Beatty and Alvarez and some of their other young prospects that, you know, are pretty much knocking on the door. Uh, but this is a great deal for the Mets, and it's a great deal for McNeil. For, for, for McNeil, the guy hasn't gotten paid yet in terms of, like, the, the big money contract because he came up late, late bloomer is 31 and, and, you know, was never going to be able to, to really, really hit free agency at, at a good age. So it makes sense. Now he would have been 32, 33 hitting free agency. It makes sense now to, you know, just take this $50 million deal as the club option on the final year. Um, this is going to be a really good value for them. This could turn into one of the best value contracts in baseball, given what he gives you war wise because of the defense, because of the offense, uh, because of just the, the well-rounded player that he is. And look, the Mets, yes, they have endless money, but I don't think they want to sign every dude to a million, a billion dollars every yeah. single chance they get. So to lock up a couple guys for a reasonable amount allows them to cook a little bit more with some of the bigger deals that we know they're going to make in the, in the future. I also feel like they're doing a good job of looking internally at what they have, right? Because how much do you believe in Ronnie Mauricio to be a second baseman? Probably not much. So they go with McNeil, they lock up their second baseman. Alonso, I'm not saying that like a Vientos or a Beatty is stopping them from locking up Alonso long term because it should never do so. But they do, quote unquote, have a backup plan. 
if the Alonzo extension doesn't work out. They don't really have a backup plan at second base. They didn't really have a backup plan in center field for Nimmo because Alex Ramirez, while he looks good, is so far off and he's probably a corner outfielder, right? At third yeah. base, you've got a stopgap in Eduardo Escobar to Brett Beatty. At catcher, you've got a stopgap in Omar Narvaez and Tomas Mito to get to Francisco Alvarez. So they know their prized possessions on the farm. They're not hindering those guys getting there, but wherever they need to fill places for multiple years, they've done so. And look at who they've extended, right? They grabbed their shortstop. They don't have to think about shortstops for the next decade. They don't have to think about a second baseman now for the next four or five years. They don't have to think about center field for the next six, seven years in Nimmo. And then the starting rotation, you're constantly thinking about it, but the top end, you don't have to think about it for three more years. So yeah. they're doing a great job with that. Tampa has done a really good job with that as well. Tampa doesn't necessarily have a Yandy Diaz type coming up. They've got a bunch of great talent coming up through the system, but Yandy Diaz was a guy that made sense to have. And on a cheap deal, this makes perfect sense. Three years, $24 million with a club option in 2026. I mean, this is Ray's contract heaven. You know, it's funny. I'd almost argue that <clears throat> they they do in a way with Curtis Mead. I think there's some similarity there. Mead maybe has some more power. Uh, but at the same point, the way that the Rays have struggled to convert high-level offensive prospects into production at the big league level uh, over the recent years, and I know it's something that really frustrates Rays fans, um, lock up the guys you've got, right? Lock up the guys that can just hit. Um, and, and I think Diaz is a guy that really figured it out last year to another degree, right. In terms of the bat to ball, in terms of just being a, a consistent, consistent hitter, um, and, and being able to slug a little bit more too. Uh, they do that. And then they also extend Pete Fairbanks, which is, which is interesting. Um, and, and with, to a pretty, pretty solid deal. They, we've talked about Jeffrey Springs, like they're, they're, they're locking up the core. And I think at that point they'll be able to go spend in the spots that they want to spend. Uh, but Fairbanks was fantastic last year when, when he did pitch, when he was on the field, one, one, three ERA in 24 innings, which is, which is spectacular. And Yandi was, was awesome as well. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, they're, they're players that definitely kind of came out of nowhere and, and are, you know, maybe overachieving in our minds, but to the Rays, I think they're buying it, right? We're, we're doing a buy and sell episode. It looks like that the Rays are buying Yandy Diaz's performance. And, you know, I think that means we got to buy it too. So uh, I, it's good to see him get his contract. And it's good to see the Rays holding on to some of their guys and not just endlessly trusting the revolving door because continuity is a good thing. Right. And, and even more so than McNeil, you know, you could argue that McNeil doesn't play the sexiest brand of baseball. And that's why his market value is capped at a certain number. And that's why the batting title champion is, is only getting 12 and a half a year. Yandy Diaz is getting eight a year because his brand of baseball is even less appealing than that of Jeff yeah. McNeil. You know what I mean? So if he did hit the open market, he was going to get what? 10 a year, yeah. 12 a year, yeah. eight with the team that you came up with. You feel pretty good about that. A hundred percent. And I think this is a place where he wants to be, you know, I mean, he, he has a brief cameo and, Cleveland struggled there and then he had success in, in Tampa. Like this is where he figured it out. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's good to see him continue to, to be a force. And if you look at his numbers over his entire Tampa career, 
He's been an 800s OPS guy. I think this past year, he was just even more consistent over the largest sample size that we've gotten. And uh, clearly the Rays are buying that 400 on base percentage. So even if he regresses a little bit at that price, you know, at 8 million, he's still going to be a really good piece for them. And um, again, it's it's good to see the Rays not just always trusting that they can plug and play somebody else and, and keeping some familiar faces around that, you know, are doing a good job and are, are proven bets. 100%. All right, let's buy or sell down years. And what I did, I went through each division. We're doing the American League today. We're doing the National League tomorrow. Um, I went through each division and I plucked guys that either had underwhelming performances in 2022 or they just haven't reached what we expected from them. And there are names like Jared Kelnick and Joe Adele that that fall into that category. But, you know, the first name that we're going to go over is Jose Barrios, who obviously top 10 in Cy Young voting in 2021. And then he falls off a cliff in 2022. So again, we're buying or selling the regression. So buy is a bad thing. Sell is a good thing. And and we'll kind of quickly clarify that almost each time we go through it. But uh, I'll give you the briefing on each of these guys. And I think we're going to spend two to two and a half minutes on each of these guys. Good to go? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the one thing that just came to my mind, I was like, factor fluke would almost be make more sense but i think I, we, we we set the tone on buy or sell <laughs> hopefully yeah. hopefully i don't get it confused in my own head are do you want to sell his stock or do, do you want to buy or sell his stock like you're buying low or selling i low? think that's what's happening in my head but i'll be able to i'll be able to do it you'll you'll catch me if i misspeak i, I well, don't think maybe, i will maybe that's the better way to do it maybe we should buy a guy's stock or sell his stock Oh, now, now we're ready. <laughs> no, we're you know ready. what? All right. We're buying the regression or we're selling the regression. Yeah, so sell good, good, buy bad. Buy okay. bad alliteration. Let's go. Jose Barrios had a 5 2 3 ERA in 2022. He led the American League in hits allowed and earned runs allowed. He had a whip over 1.4. He is a career 4.24 ERA guy. So his 2022 was a, was a run higher than his career average. He's coming off of a 2021 where he had a 3.52 ERA, finished top 10 in AL Cy Young voting. The guy's fastball got obliterated. He threw it 28% of the time. Opponents hit 349 with a 618 slug against his four-seam fastball. So when he threw old number one, it was getting beaten into the stratosphere. Are you buying the regression or are you selling it? This is a really tough one. I love how we're starting with an absolute, just one of the toughest, toughest, toughest cases, I think, in baseball right now um, is is Jose Barrios, because he's always been a player that we've, even when he was going well, we're like, oh, he's like, you know, he's just on the cusp of being what he could be. Uh, and then once he finally gets to that point of like, okay, now we're really seeing him be closer to what he could be. Now he he just fully, fully, fully takes a step back. And honestly, it was so bad last year uh, in terms of like you, you just talked about the fastball numbers against um, and just looking at at the data behind it, too. Like, I'm I'm going to I'm going to buy the 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 struggle. Like, I'm going to buy the regression. And, and I do think he gets marginally better this year, but I don't think he's Jose Barrios. I, I think that there is a level of. The league figuring him out a bit. I think he was impacted a little bit by the crackdown on 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 substances because the fastball quality dropped down a lot. And, and the number one thing I look at, man, with with, with Barrios, because you talk about how his fastball got crushed, and <laughs> opponents had eighty nine percent zone contact against his fastball. So if, if that's the case, like you, you're gonna you're gonna struggle there. Uh, and that was that was down the stretch. 
And then his curveball, the pitch that he trusted the most, 90% almost zone contact against that. So opponents overall 80, uh, I think it was around 87% zone contact against him. Like, that's not good. That means you you are not getting anybody to whiff. Uh, And that's that's, his game. His game is swing and miss. He's too comfortable of an at-bat right now, um, and it was all year long. I don't like I don't like his chances for next year unless he can really find that sinker and become more of a ground ball guy. Um, I, I think he improves marginally, but I'm going to buy the overall regression and and say that Barrios is is not going to quite get back to what we what we hoped he could be. Yeah, I mean, this is the type of year that that throws you off four years that may throw you off for an entire career. Like I I'm not sure there's bouncing back from what just happened to him in 2022 because this guy, you know. We could say, oh, well, yeah, he just takes, you know, four or five months, slams the reset button, and he comes back and he's Jose Barrios of old. Like, I don't think so. This guy's confidence is probably lower than any other pitcher in Major League Baseball right now, not named Yoan Adon or Raver San Martin. <laughs> like, he was that bad. He was Pat Corbin bad. And Pat Corbin, I mean, it's not like we're buying that he's going to have a career rejuvenation at this point. So what makes Barrios any different? Because the stuff is a bit better he showed us that the stuff wasn't good this past year. So, yeah, I, I think I'm buying the regression as well. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton is the only Yankee on this list. 2022, 110 games, hit 211 with an OBP under 300. He had a 760 OPS, 31 homers, 78 RBIs, but it was post-All-Star break. 151 with a 582 OPS and 134 plate appearances. Injury hampered. His career average over 162. 264 in 890 OPS, 43 homers, 110 RBIs, high standard that he set from himself. Are you buying the regression or do you believe that Giancarlo is bouncing back? You know, it's so weird. <laughs> Last year was his first year as an all-star since joining the New York Yankees, um, yeah. despite having the year that that he had. 31 home runs still. Um, you know, despite the struggles, he didn't strike out egregiously. I don't think he was, you know, well, he didn't look slower or, or, you know, it wasn't one of those situations where we're seeing this guy with uh, more than we've seen him with, but also just looking at John Carlos Stanton, seeing 33 years old makes me feel really old <laughs> because, and I know we're young. You remember like, when he was Mike I, though? This is this. Yeah. I mean, I watched him come up as Mike Stanton. Um, the one concern is there's a lot more fastball with last year. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot more swinging through that overall, even though it didn't look like it to the eye that he was blatantly overmatched. Uh, but I, I really do think he just wasn't right physically. And, and it was kind of fight or flight mode every time he was trying to get back in the lineup and get healthy. And I think I don't think we're ever going to see 2017 MVP Giancarlo Stanton again. Right. I think that's fair. But I do think we can see. 2021 870 OPS John Carlos Stanton and last year we saw a diminished version of that so I'm going to sell the struggle from Stanton I think we're going to see a better year from him this year uh, I think he's going to be a, a better hitter overall again I don't think he's going to be an MVP candidate but I think he can be close to those career averages still and and be a productive hitter I, I I'm still a believer in Stanton I, I don't think that he's you know hit this this age curve just yet I think he's got a couple more good years in him I'm selling the down year as well. Um, that swing would never be taught by any hitting instructor no. on planet Earth. No. And that tells you that the only reason he's had the success that he has had is because he is 
created by Michelangelo physically. You know what I mean? Like he is a gift from God physically. And if it's not right, it throws that entire well-oiled machine out of whack. So I think it was just health. And like, if this guy's body is actually feeling good, we know that he's a 40 homer guy because he's that gifted physically. So yeah, I mean, I think I'm I'm with you. Like, we're not going to get 59 homers from Giancarlo again, but we're going to get 40. I, I do believe that. Yeah, especially with just – and I know it should have happened last year, but he wasn't right. I don't think we really got to see him reap the rewards of the fear of Aaron Judge, and I yeah. think we're going to see that a bit more now. Um, you know, I don't know if they'll adjust where he hits in the lineup or whatever it may be, but when Judge is the – you know, Giancarlo has been the most feared guy in the lineup for a long time. And even when he first came to New York, like – Judge was in and out of the lineup. Like I, 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 and then of course Stanton missed most of 2019 and then, you know, 2020 shortened season. So I, I don't know if we've really seen a healthy Stanton, you know, with, with the full reward of a totally feared judge. 2021 was the closest thing. And that was his arguably his best year as a Yankee. Um, yeah. I think not even arguably it was his best year as a Yankee. So I think we're going to see the league really catering towards Aaron judge pitching around him, being careful. And Stanton's going to see a lot more to hit. And this is a guy that used to just always see the slider away, slider away, slider away. And if I walk you, I walk you. I don't think that's going to be the case as much with Stanton in this lineup. So uh, I hope, I hope we see a healthy Stanton. And if we do, uh, I think he's going to be much better this year. Yep. Two Orioles. Number one is Cedric Mullins, 2022. He had 258, the 318 OBP. It's 721 OPS, 16 homers, 64 driven in a 3.4 F4. We're comparing him to 2021 because he hit 290 with an 880 OPS, 30 homers, and a 6 F4. Are you buying that this is the new Cedric Mullins, or are you selling and you think that he can get back to 2021? Man, that's a tough one. I can go Mullins first because I, I think he's somewhere in between. I agree. That's 100%. I don't think he's 30 home runs. I don't think he's 30-30. Um, I think the the league made some adjustments to to him to a degree. And, you know, he's a little bit – can be a little aggressive at times, but he's got a great bat-to-ball skills overall. Um, the strikeout rate didn't change much, right? The, the walk rate dropped about, you know, almost 2%. Um, and – you saw the power output diminish. That was the big thing. 518 slugged to 403. They do move the walls back, but that was more in, in left field. He's a left-handed hitter. Yeah. I, I think what we saw from, I think we're going to see something better from Mullins. So I don't know how to properly answer buy or sell because I don't think he's ever going to be 2021 Mullins quite again, but yeah. I think he's better than what we saw last year. I think it was a little bit of a sophomore slump and adjusting to the league, adjusting to you. Uh, but even in that, down year quote unquote 106 wrc plus 3.4 f4 16 home runs 34 stolen bases i think he's gonna be right in between like you said 2021 and 2022 so i guess technically speaking that would be a sell uh, of, of last year's performance because we think he's gonna be better at least i think he's gonna be better and i think you're yeah. in the same boat so i'm gonna say sell i think he's gonna be between what we saw from these two seasons a six f4 season and a three and a half f4 season i think we're gonna see a four and a half f4 season this year and better offensive numbers I, i'm unloading some shares like that that's what i will say i'm still holding on to some but but i'm hedging a little bit because 3.4 f4 this year six last year sorry 3.4 and 22 six and 21 i think cedric mullins average is like four three to four four f4 mm -hmm. so i think he's 
a win better, but still a win and a half worse than his career year in 2021. Uh, The other one that I think is maybe more alarming is Ryan Mountcastle. 2022, he hit 250, the 729 OPS, 22 homers, 85 driven in, a 0.6 F4. He was docked for playing a, or yeah, he was docked for playing a little bit of the outfield. 2021, he had a 796 OPS, 33 homers, 89 driven in. He had a 1.6 F4. The thing that jumps out about Ryan Mountcastle, almost an identical sample size. In 2021, he saw 1,250 fastballs. In 22, he saw 1,253 fastballs. So, I mean, you can't get more even. In 2021, he slugged 580 against fastballs. In 2022, he slugged 395 against fastballs. That's a 200-point drop against the same number of fastballs. Are you buying or selling? So a big reason why I think we see that drop is is the approach. He's way too aggressive. He's a guy that is always going to be in the mid to high 30s in chase rate, at least at this point in his career. But he's not even 26 yet. Um, the the batted ball data would probably point towards like you know being a little concerned about the approach. But I just feel like he can he can adjust this right. Like this is something that uh, especially with the fastballs, like swinging at nearly 60 percent of fastballs is is a hard way to succeed. And I think pitchers took advantage of that and and expanded the zone on him a little bit more. Um, I think in this lineup now it's it's a little bit better. Uh, the, the power that he has, I don't think he needs to try to do as much. He's now going to be a little bit more settled in. I, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to sell the performance last year. I think, I think he's going to be better. I really do like Mount Castle. I think he's a very powerful bat. And I think it's, it's easy to forget how young he is still overall. He's really only had two full seasons under his belt. And in those two seasons, he's hit, you know, 55 home runs the last two years. So, I think he's going to put it together a little bit more. And the fact that he only struck out 25% of the time, despite his really high chase rates is, you know, a a testament to his bat to ball skills for a big power guy. Um, I think he bounces back this year and has a better season. He's also just so early in his major league career. That's why I'm selling as well. Like I, with this type of power output early in his major league career, he's got a lot of time to get things right. So, so I'm selling it too. Um, two Red Sox, both hampered by injury, both played less than 100 games this past year. Trevor Story in 2022 played 94 games. He had a 737 OPS, which is over 100 points lower than his career average. Granted, a lot of that came at Coors. Um, his K rate went up. His average war output went down drastically. Um, this is a two-time All-Star we're talking about. Three top 15 MVP finishes is Trevor story ever going to do it again? Do what again? <laughs> I don't know. Um, be, like that's such a tough question, right? Is he ever going to be the Arenado where Arenado no. hits 35 goes to St. Louis and hits 30 in St. Louis. I just don't think that's yeah, ever going to so, be Trevor story. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't think he's ever going to be 2019 six war Trevor story again, or even 2018, which was, 4.6 but that, but he was he was signed to like I, I think even with the six-year 140 million dollar deal like to me that says you are never going to be a six war guy again uh to me that's like please hover around four to five war and and we'll see what you do 
because at least that's just what what I sense from that contract. Like the, the, there weren't teams just lining up for Trevor Story to 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 be on their ball club. There was injury concerns. There was the fact that he has not been that great over the last or had not been that great in that last year with Colorado, and then you know had some of the issues that he had with the elbow that you know teams were aware of of to some degree. Yeah. Um, so you know I I don't know I don't I don't know if I'm gonna if we can expect him to just now after elbow surgery now on the other side of 30 just recapture that age 26 magic that he had right it's it sneaky long time ago uh, I do think that he can be that that 2.8 3. 3.8 you know I think he could be a three to four win guy so you're buying it so what sorry you're buying it I am buying the struggle if we're putting it relative to what he was in Colorado. Yeah. So I guess buying it. Like, I do think he can be a really solid piece for them. He was a 2.4 F4 guy in 94 games last year. That puts him on pace for nearly four wins. Yeah. Um, I think he's going to be good, but I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, one of the best at his position like he was. So I'm going to say that I'm going to buy the struggle, but I do think he's going to be better. Yeah, I, I I think same exact verbiage to you. I I, I buy that he's never going to get back to that, um, but I I sell that he's going to be Javi Baez. Like he's going to be better than Javi Baez over the course of the contract. Kike Hernandez, final guy in the American League East, ninety three games in twenty twenty two, hit two twenty two with a six thirty OPS. He had a zero point five F four, lowest average exit velocity of his career. I mean, he was not impacting the baseball whatsoever. Obviously hampered by injury. I just don't think Kike is a guy that you feel good about as an everyday top of the lineup guy like the Red Sox are are putting him at. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like he's a good baseball player. Um, He had a really good 2021, pretty much a career year besides maybe 2018 was, was one year that was, Better than that, but he did it in 2021 with with more playing time, more consistent ABs, and 585 plate plate appearances. So it was by far the most of his career, and it was his best season overall, pretty much. So that's that's where it's tough because last year was really, really, really just an injury laden season for him. And when he when he was on the field, I don't even think he was 100 right. He was just trying to get in there and help them. I still think he's going to be a really solid player for them. So I'm gonna I'm gonna sell the struggles. Um, I don't know if he's ever gonna gonna be the four war guy again that he was in 2021, but I think he'd be pretty close. Um, the guy hit 20 home runs that year too, played great defense, walked, doesn't strike out. Like I think that's gonna translate. I, I think he's gonna be somewhere around that again. I, I think he's gonna bounce back this year. Okay. Yeah, I I think that I think that when we adjust how we look at Kike Hernandez, this is going to be a sell. You know what I mean? But as of right now, like if if Red Sox Nation is expecting 2021 Kike Hernandez, I got to buy the the regression. Um, but if they are expecting the Kike Hernandez that was a great utility guy for the Dodgers, then I'm selling the regression. I think he gets back to that. Yeah, so average exit velocity, by the way, you mentioned how it was low as his career because he was just like in and out of the lineup, probably a lot of weak contact when he just wasn't right, timing was off, probably a lot of rollovers, a lot, a lot of whatever. Um, but he actually posted the highest max exit velocity of his entire career uh, besides 2016. So I guess highest max exit velocity since 2017 or or last year. So I think that's something that 
is worth noting. Like he still got it in the tank. I don't know if it's, you know, is his body slowing down or anything like that. So I do think we could see that 20 to 25 home run bounce back. And if that happens, then he might be close to last year. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how he does. The Red Sox need him desperately. Um, and he got paid. So it should be interesting, but I, I definitely am going to um, sell last year's last year's numbers. Cool. AL Central. Let's start with Lucas Giolito. He had a 4.9 ERA in 30 starts, 9.5 hits per nine. It was uh, what the highest of of recent memory. Um, first time under 10 Ks per nine since the 2018 season. FIP over four for the first time since 2018 when he was statistically the worst pitcher in baseball. Opponents hit 284 against his fastball, highest since 2018. Opponents hit 248 against his changeup, highest of his career by 30 points. Opponents hit 279 against his slider, highest of his career when his usage of that pitch was over 2%. Everything this guy threw was getting hit and hit relatively hard compared to what we've seen over the last three years from Lucas Giolito. I'm buying the regression. I thought this guy was playing with fire for a long time. And I, I think that, you know, hitters have started to figure out that they can sit change up and actually hit it. Yeah. And that's the only good pitch, right? You know, you look at swinging strike rate, you look at whiff rates, the, the change up's the only good pitch, but that's the one pitch that that's the only pitch that people are thinking about. Right. And, and that's the one they're sitting on. So and I'm pretty sure it was the only one with a negative run value for him last year. So, you know, when you know he's only got one pitch that he can really get you with and you feel comfortable hitting everything else, especially when the slider isn't good. Yeah, I- I'm worried about him, man. And and I think it's it's a little bit injury related, too, which is sad because, I, you know, we, we know that he's dealt with those shoulder issues and the stuff was definitely diminished. So, uh, yeah, I'm buying I'm buying the regression here. I, I, I think Giolito is is a, a diminished version of, of what we we saw before and it, it's a shame because he he was once a, a top prospect and has showed us flashes of really get great stuff at the big league level that said i still think he can settle into a back end of the rotation role and be an innings eater and uh, be a low fours guy but that's not what lucas giolito is supposed to be so i'm i'm buying the struggle yeah i mean in a perfect world white Sox fans would have had cease and giolito as co-aces and maybe giolito was the one if you asked him at the beginning of the 2021 season it was Okay, Lucas is the one that we feel great about for the foreseeable future. And then Cease is number two. He's that, you know, uh, high volatility guy, high risk, really high reward. Um, Giolito now, like, here's the thing uh, about him. His fastball doesn't play at all, That which is so different than his prospect days. Because his prospect days, we were thinking, okay, this guy can survive with a fastball at the top of the zone. And whatever breaking pitches or off-speed pitches come along, that deviates from the fastball. Now, everything's got to work off the changeup. And, and, you know, we mentioned opponents hit 250 against the changeup. If they're hitting 250 against your best pitch, you're kind of screwed, man. And that fastball is not one that's going to catch anybody off guard. Any hitter in Major League Baseball can catch up to 93-94 when it's flat. And nothing helps a changeup more than a riding fastball. And if his fastball isn't riding the same way and it, it, it isn't, doesn't have the life that it had, then the changeup becomes a little bit easier to hit too. Um, so yeah, I think we're seeing a guy that's kind of getting, seeing his whole arsenal impacted. Is Yasmati Grandal over the hill? Yes or no? <laughs> yes. Yeah. We don't need to spend time on that. Yes. Yes. Uh, 99 games hit 202 with a 570 OPS. He had a negative 0.4 F war. 
hasn't played 100 games in a full season since 2018 when he was a Milwaukee Brewer. Hit 203 with a 256 slug against fastballs. Yes, Mighty Grandal is over the hill. Yoan Moncada in 2022, 104 games, hit 212 with a 273 OBP. And that's the more alarming number. Had a 626 OPS, had a 0.9 F4. In 2020, he had a 1.1 F4 in literally half the games. Played 52 games after a serious bout with COVID. The guy said that he was on his ass. Sorry, before that 60-game sprint. And here we are seeing him even worse than that, like exponentially worse, almost twice as worse. Um, in 2021, he had a 375 OBP. So in a 100-point bump from what he did in 2022, he was a four-win player. In 2019, he was a five-and-a-half-win player. The thing that really jumps out to me, BABIP, batting average on balls in play, was 100 points lower this year than it was in 2021. I want so badly to sell the regression. Um, but if he's not getting on base, that's a real problem. Because his thing is, yes, he's always going to punch out, but he's going to walk a lot and he's going to hit the ball hard. He wasn't really walking and he wasn't hitting the ball hard. This is a tough one um, because he's still 27, which is wild. And I mean, he's been really good, right? And, and 2021, like, that, this is the thing. is We saw the bad 2020. We saw the bounce back in 2021. Like, all right, he's good now. He's, he's, he's back. He's good to go. And then whatever the hell happened last year. And the most interesting part to me, uh, you, you mentioned the BABIP. How about the walk rate? And that kind of ties into what you said about getting on base. But how do you nearly cut your walk rate in half? No idea. It, it, that's something that I just don't don't understand. Like, to me, it almost seems like he wasn't seeing the ball well. Um, that is a weird, weird, weird like part of this whole thing is that you have a guy that legitimately was walking with, with some of the best of them at a 13.6% clip and nothing offsets a K rate better than a walk rate. Um, and then all of a sudden <clears throat> we see him walk at a 7.4% clip. I don't know if it's because he wasn't seeing the ball well, so he's making worse swing decisions or if if there's something else at hand here, or if pitchers were more confident because of his struggles to just attack him, which would be the worst case scenario. Yeah, I am going to sell the struggles though, because um, you know he's so he's talented. Gonna, I think he's going to bounce back, um, especially because a lot of the struggles seem to be approach oriented. He was swinging more than last year than he had in in, in the last couple seasons by at least five six percent. Um, I think he's going to bounce back just because we we still we still see the glove, we still see the value that he brings, and and I think that that last year was a bit of a disaster for the White Sox in a lot of ways, um, and, and I think we have to to you know mention that the lineup was a revolving door. Uh, we, we saw a lot of issues with the team from in, you know inside with Tony Larusa, whatever. We don't we don't know everything that was going on. I'm going to give Mankata the benefit of the doubt when you know 2020. Let's let's scrap that. Then two of the last three seasons, he's been a four and a five and a half war player, uh, and and he's still young. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sell the struggles from Mankata. I think he's gonna bounce back. There we go. All right, four Tigers here: Javier Baez, Spencer Torkelson, Akil Badu, Eduardo Rodriguez. Start with Baez. 2022, he had a 671 OPS, lowest of his career since his age 21 season in 2014, which spanned 52 games. 17 homers, lowest in a full season since 2016. 
2.0 F4, lowest in any full season of his career. 49% chase rate, saw 35% strikes. He swung at 56% of all pitches. This guy's approach has been fucked for his entire career. It will never get better. I'm buying that he's over the hill. Yeah, I'm buying that he's over the hill. The league has fully figured it out, you know, figured him out, and they're never going to give in to him. And when you chase 47% of pitches, like, it's just not going to happen. So, no, there's no way that this guy magically, you know, fixes his approach at age 30. Uh, And I think it's just more the league continuing to, you know, realize that this guy will just get himself out and they're just letting him get himself out. And that's going to continue to happen. Swinging at 56% of pitches that he saw 35% strikes. That's an insane difference. That's all you got to know. All you got to know. Spencer Torkelson, uh, rookie season, 110 games, 203 with a 319 slug. He was a negative one F4 player. He had a 76 WRC plus. The thing that I want to point to here that shows you that this was truly a down year and not who Spencer Torkelson is 2021 in AAA, 40 games, a 129 WRC plus. 2022 in AAA, 35 games, WRC plus dropped by 30 points. He was a 100 WRC plus guy. That tells me that this was a down year and his confidence was shot. A guy this young that just started his major league career, I'm selling that this is Spencer Torkelson. Spencer Torkelson is a very good baseball player. He's going to prove that in 2023. Yeah. I mean, he, he was kind of playing against himself last year, being that he climbed to the big league so quick as one of the more polished bats we've seen. He was 22 years old. Right. So this was a a disaster year for the Tigers. We've talked about how I just think it was organization wide, um, the hitting struggles and especially for a prospect trying to get acclimated to the big leagues. I think, I think he felt like he was on an Island to a degree. I, I really do. Especially with Riley green being in the same boat too. Torque's too talented. He's too good of a hitter. He hits the ball too hard. His approach is too good. And his bat-to-ball skills are too good. He He's going to be fine. And especially with them moving the walls in, he had a lot of deep fly balls taken from him uh, that I think will be home runs in this new ballpark or in the, I mean, in this new, uh, you know, setup here in this ballpark. Uh, he's going to be, he's going to be just fine. Yeah. Uh, Akil Badu, 73 games, 65 WRC plus, and negative 0.2 F4. In 2021, he was a two-win player with a 110 WRC plus. Is 2021 Akil Badu or is 2022 Akil Badu? Man, I, I actually I actually think he's going to bounce back, but I don't feel great about this one. Yeah, But I do think he's going to bounce back because this is one of the more unique cases that we've seen, right? Like Akil Badu is one of the few – Position players we've seen selected in the Rule 5 draft with no experience in the upper levels. When he was selected in the Rule 5, he was left unprotected by the Twins in 2019 because they thought there was no shot anybody was taking him. He was a guy that had only played at low A, only played 29 games at high A, and then was was left unprotected. And in those 29 games in high A, by the way, hit 214. So <laughs> this is a guy uber talented, um, but... They did, the twins didn't seem worried that he was going to get taken. Tigers were so, you know, tantalized by the talent here. They said, screw it. We're rebuilding. We're going to take this guy in the roll five and throw him into the big leagues and, and say sink or swim. And he, he swam. He swam. Yeah. He put up that 110 WRC plus. That said, he went from low A essentially because he was only 29 games in high A straight to the big leagues. And that's a lot. 
he he was able to survive. But I think, you know, then being thrown back out there in 2022, the league adjusted to him a little bit. And he didn't have a lot of experience of making adjustments, of of being able to get acclimated to, you know, tough competition and survive that. So, you know, I think last year was a big learning curve for him. Uh, and, and he finally was able to go to AAA and put up phenomenal numbers there in 30 games. I think he's going to bounce back and be good. And I think it's crazy that people have already, you know, like kind of forgotten about Badu. This was one of the more intriguing stories we've seen. Yeah. And like, this is a guy that didn't even get to go through minor league progress. Like he's one of the rare, uh, rare examples of someone that doesn't get to actually learn himself through the minor leagues uh, for a good reason. He gets to go straight to the bigs, but give this guy a little bit more time. 73 games of struggles is not going to outweigh 124 games of success for me, especially when you have no minor league experience like Badu. So I think he's going to bounce back this year. I'm with you. I, I'm selling the regression. I My thought is this guy went from who the hell is he to now we have a report on Akil Badu. And, and you mentioned 29 games in high A. Like This guy was the one that was probably best performer at the alt site. You know what I mean? To, enough to get selected in the rule five. So you go from a mystery to it's almost like, you know, you're, you're swaying back and forth. Right. And that's why the sophomore slump is the thing. You've got this rookie breakout, this sophomore slump, and then you settle into this middle ground. He is the perfect example of a guy that's going to settle into a middle ground. I think he's a 100 WRC plus guy. So I think he is closer to 2021 than he is 2022. Eduardo Rodriguez, I don't really know how to like quantify a down year for him. Um, I guess a down year for Eduardo Rodriguez would be going through a divorce. 17 starts, 91 innings, a 405 ERA, which is pretty average for him. A 720 OPS against, actually better than his career average, uh, but he wasn't on the hill. Does Eduardo Rodriguez throw like the $80 million arm that the Detroit Tigers paid him to be? Yes or no? I mean, after going AWOL last year. And I say no, no because he went AWOL. Uh, you know, but he's a big, an you know, analytics uh, guys love him, right? Because he's a, a four, seven, four ERA guy in Boston. And then, you know, but during that time in 2021 had a three, four, seven X ERA and three, three, two fit. We, we thought it Erod was going to be great in Detroit because it's a, it's a pitcher's park to the, the, the nth degree. And even with them moving the walls in <clears throat> way more of a pitcher's park than Boston is, you know, but that's one of the worst places to pitch. Uh, I think he's going to finally be what we were hoping. Um, yeah, I don't think that means frontline guy, but I think he's going to be a high three ZRA guy, strike out more more batters. I mean, it was a small sample size last year, marred by a lot of issues like you talked about um, off the field. I think he's going to be better this year. I really do. So I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sell the regression. Um, I think I think he's going to be a, a a better pitcher this season. I think I'm selling it too. Uh, all right, two Royals to close out the AL Central. Nicky Lopez WRC plus by year. 56 WRC plus in 2019 across 103 games, 53 in 56 games in 2020, 105 in 151 games in 2021, 57 in 142 games in 2022. Is Nicky Lopez a 55 WRC plus guy or is he a six win player in 2021? Um, I'm, I'm buying the, uh, the regression here. I, I don't think this guy can, can put up anything close He's to Nick Madrigal. <laughs> you know, 347 BABIP, and I, and I hate using BABIP uh, when it's 
you know, one solid year that a guy it looks like a guy's putting it together. And then people are like, oh, but the Babip is high. Well, sometimes the Babip's high because he's hitting the ball harder and hitting it in the gaps or or hitting it just in general, just more line drives, right? The but, Tim Anderson special. Yeah. But when you have low Babip, low Babip, high Babip, low Babip, now sandwiched <laughs> between those years, it, it provides better context. And I think we're going to see more of, of what we've seen <laughs> the other three years than what we saw in this magic season, whereas Babbitt was 100 points higher. So, um, yeah, I think Lopez is is more of that well below average hitter that's a great defender. Yeah, and what spot do you have in Major League Baseball? Probably a bench infielder. Like, Nicky Lopez, Geraldo Perdomo are kind of the same guy here, where, where they're really good defensive players, but they just can't hit to save their lives. So I will say, because of the defense, he provides more value than Nick Madrigal does. Uh, yes, by a lot. All right, last guy in the AL Central, Daniel Lynch, left-hander for the Royals. 2022, he had a 5-1-3 ERA. 2021, he wasn't much better, man. He's 26 years old. This is another example of a guy that wasn't necessarily a down year. It's been a down major league career for him to this point. Do we need to adjust our expectations on Daniel Lynch? Yes, because, you know, I think at one point we were hoping that, you know, he could be this one of the better arms that the that the Royals have. I think at one point it was, you know, like Lynch or Singer. Who do you like long term? And, you know, Singer was always a little further ahead, but Lynch had, you know, higher upside as a six six lefty. But you know, I, I think that the expectations have to be adjusted to a degree. But that said, I still think Daniel Lynch can be good. Like I think he can be a solid starter. Um lefties always take longer, especially tall ones. Yeah. He was 25 last year. I know it's it, it's been it's been frustrating, but I could pull you pull up so many cases of of left-handers that just take a little bit more time to figure it out, uh, especially as starters. So I still think Daniel Lynch is going to be if we're like he is not in the same boat as you know these other like Chris Bubich and um, you know some of the Jackson Kowar. Like, yeah, I don't Lacey. Think he's in the same right, Lacey. I don't think he's in the same boat as those guys. He's more talented and he already has, you know, I think better stuff, especially that slider is just disgusting. Uh, I, I, I'm going to sell the struggles. I I think, you know, it's different than what, you know, I, I once thought he would be. This is a guy that I always had as the number one pros, pitching prospect of that group. And I think, you know, I definitely might've, might've missed on that slightly, but um, some of the underlying numbers look pretty good. He still gave you 131 innings last year, and I, I I do think he's going to take a step forward this year and, and be a more of a low forest guy. So I'm going to sell the struggles last year. The, the one thing that jumps out to me is this guy might always just be a pitcher, a left-handed pitcher that struggles to throw against lefties. Lefties against him this year slashed 308, 400, 462. I mean, I know 65 plate appearances, but like they – killed him so I, i'm curious like why does a lefty lefty slider not play and the answer is he might just be too timid with the fastball against left-handed hitters and they're just going to town on it um i don't so, know like that that's a mental hurdle i think yeah it's, it's weird um looking at pitch usage too like he, you know he doesn't he doesn't really go to the changeup at all against lefties of course so it's fastball slider um and i think he just struggles to consistently land this the, the 
the slider for a strike. Um, looking at just even some of the numbers, though, like the fastball command was actually not great left on left. So I think guys were just kind of selling out, you know, and and I think you, you, he's a two-pitch guy against lefties, and you know, they were selling out for for one of them. And that that was really it. If you look at the, the breakdown, um, they hit both sliders and fastballs off of him lefties did 290 something against the slider and uh over 300 against the fastball so that kind of tells me that they were selling out for the heater and saying okay you know if you can locate that slider three straight times i'll tip my cap because it's a two-pitch mix for him so he's going to either need to mix in a sinker throw that change up left on left i think you you can do that it doesn't need to be the best pitch in the world you just need to give a different look um yeah. or or mix in like a slow curve or something but you know he needs to give lefties a different look but i think these are all things that you know with new philosophy from the top of the organization um some new people involved in the pitching development in general uh, this is something that i think lynch is so talented he just needs to be tweaked and and i think that with the right tweaks he could be a, a really solid number four type Yep. Wrapping up with the AL West, Jared Kelnick, same conversation as Daniel Lynch, 54 games, 141 in 147 major league games. He's slashing 168, 251, 338 with a 30% K rate against breaking balls this past year. Oh. Jared Kelnick was three for 54 with 29 strikeouts. I mean, buy or sell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I mean, buying. The- I, I can go first. Like, I'm buying. Um, I think he's a fourth outfielder in Major League Baseball. Um, I think that, you know, this is like an early – this is an early career thing that you just can't get over, man. I mean, it's it's Pache-esque, right? 147 games and you're hitting 168? You were a top five prospect in the game. That's not okay. You know, what's concerning to me is, is this was one that, you know, when you sent me the list, um, you know, Jack compiled these names and, you know, when you, when you sent me the list, Jack, this was one that I was like, all right, I really got to do some, some little extra research before, uh, because Kalnick's such a, such a tough, tough guy to peg, right? This is the guy that was, you know, arguably the number two prospect behind Wander Franco, uh, when, when before graduating and, and we know how highly regarded he's been for so long, but I, I wanted to dive back and say, what's changed, what did we maybe miss or did something drastically change? I think it was a little bit of both, but I think what we missed is the interesting part. You talk about the breaking balls and, and after, you know, you texted me that number, that was a number that I've actually uh, been, I've looked at a couple of times this year. Cause it's one of the more unbelievable ones. Um, but that kind of got me when you texted me, that kind of got me going. I'm like, I wonder how he's been against breaking balls in the minors in the past. So I went back through the minor leagues the last couple of years and he's never been great against them. Mm-hmm. And even in 2019, um, that, that year where it was all minor leagues and, you know, we really kind of saw him heading in the right direction or really kind of breaking out as, as that dude, um, he still sucked against sliders, like was really bad against them. Uh, and even change-ups, big, big time in zone whiff issues. Uh, and that's against less experienced, less talented pitching, right? That's a low A, high A, and a cameo and double and putting up ridiculous numbers at those levels. Kelnick was just more advanced, punished fastballs like none other uh, in the minor leagues. He was ridiculous uh, at certain stretches with punishing fastballs and crushed hangers. Not going to miss the hangers. Um, but for me, I, I'm I'm going to 
I'm going to buy the struggle because these breaking ball issues have been an issue uh, to me. He's, he, I see a guy that's in his head at the plate. I see a stiff swing with a iffy path that's in and out of the zone. That's going to hurt him on breaking balls. Um, yes, he's 23. I'm not saying give up on him. I think there's a way that he can turn himself into, you know, somewhat of a, a decent big league piece, you know, whether it's a platoon guy or something like that, like that could still happen. He's 20 freaking three years old, yeah. but I'm going to buy the struggles in the regard that he's never going to be what we thought he could be. And, and I think that there's still some very serious issues, uh, but it's a weird one because I'm, I'm buying the struggles, but I'm, I am selling the 55 WRC plus I'm selling the 141 batting average. I think he's, he's a, he's not a guy that's going to be out of the league in three years. I, I just, I don't think he's that he's that bad there. He's too talented. I'm buying that. He's a bench bat though. Yeah. Me too. I, I think I'm buying bench platoon bat, maybe figures it out later in his career. But like, why can't this guy be Tyler Naquin? Yeah, right. But like, like why can't we're he... talking about we're talking about the number two prospect in the game not too long ago being Tyler Naquin. Naquin was a great prospect, too. <laughs> so that that's why I'm I'm buying it. I'm putting all my chips in on, on Kelnick, not ever reaching that potential. Short in stock. Yep. Um, Max Stassi. First season in 2022, over 100 games, he hit 180 with a 570 OPS. He had a 63 WRC plus, and he had a WAR of 0.0. Logan Ohapi is the starting catcher for the LA Angels. Is Max Stassi a starting catcher in Major League Baseball? Is he a timeshare catcher, or is he a backup catcher? He is. I think he's a backup catcher, man. I mean, the position's getting better. It's getting better real quick. And I think with, with what the Angels did last year, remember, this is a team that that extended Stassi, right? I mean, they yeah. gave him a three-year, $17.5 million deal. And shortly after, you know, trade pretty good outfielder in Brandon Marsh for Logan O'Hoppy. Great deal. Uh, but at the end of the day, like, you just paid your, your catcher. You're and right. now you're trading for a catcher who's close to big league ready. You know, I, I think to me that that says a lot about how, how the angels feel about, about where Stassi's at, you know, maybe he's not that, that three war 2.9 war guy. He was in, you know, 87 games in 2021, which is ridiculous. Right. Um, I, yeah. I, I think he's a backup catcher, a good one. He's a good backup, but he, he's a backup catcher. So I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy the struggles last year. Uh, but I will say, I think in less, with less playing time and settling into the backup role, I think he's going to be better than what he was last year, which was a legit replacement level player. Um, I think he'll be a solid backup uh, to Logan Ohapi, but yeah, he's not, he's not that the, the starting catcher that for a good team. I, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I think he's a backup catcher as well. And you mentioned he was a three win guy in 2021. He had a one Oh five WRC plus he had a 63 WRC plus this last year. So uh, I, I think that he's probably an 80 to 85 guy in his career. And I think he's a one win player. Um, they overpaid him. And I think they knew that immediately, you know, a couple, couple months after they extended him and uh, Perry Manassian saw that and made the move for Ohapi. So I, a, a lot of credit to Perry Manassian for jumping ship when the time was right to go get a great catching prospect. Do you know what his... Yes, by the way. And I think Perry's <laughs> great. I, I really think Perry's going to do a good job. Yes. Do you know what Logan O'Hoppy's WRC Plus was in 2019? Or not Logan O'Hoppy, excuse me. Do you know what Max Stassi's WRC Plus was in 2019, if you didn't look at it just now? How many games in 2019? 
51 games. So it's a reasonable sample size of 147 plate appearances. Uh, like 75? Three. No way. Three. What was the slash line? 136, 211, 167. Oh, my God. Three. I've never seen that before. I've and seen a negative, but I think yeah, three but, might actually be funnier than a negative. 147 game or plate appearances. Like that's yeah, that's a lot. That's a big for... sample to have a three WRC. Three. Plus. Three. Um, all right. Jared Walsh had a 78 WRC plus Ooh. and a negative 0. 0.6 F4. In 2021, you were super high on him. He had a 126 WRC plus. He was a two and a half win player. He slugged 509. That was down 130 points this past year. Um, are you buying or selling? I, I think I am selling to a certain extent. I, I think that Walsh is a really talented bat. I think this was a case of sophomore slump. This is tough because Walsh is a guy that I loved as a prospect because he was a 30th round pick, two-way guy that started to focus on hitting, made some swing adjustments, and I'm like, okay, I'm all in on this guy. Had the magical year that he had in, in 2020 and even 2021 was a really, really good season for him. Um, and and then we saw whatever we saw last year. The big issue with Walsh, and I think this is an issue that's not going to get much better, is that he is, he cannot hit lefties, right? And, and that's something that he was kind of put in a position to do too frequently last year. 118 plate appearances against lefties. I, that's too many, right? I, I don't. I don't think he needs to be facing lefties really at all. I mean, you need to give him like the Jock Peterson treatment when he was with the Dodgers, and that's okay because what he does against righties is 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 hit them pretty hard. He didn't do it last year. Not last year, even against righties, he was not good. Uh, he was better, but he was not good. Um, Walsh has some moving parts to his swing, and he can get long. Uh, but this is a guy that's made adjustments in the past, which is why I really liked what where he was headed. And I think he can make those adjustments again. I think they're going to shelter him from lefties. I think he's going to make some tweaks. The lineup is a lot better. Uh, there was times where he was like the only good hitter in the lineup sometimes, you know, <laughs> especially yeah. if Shohei wasn't playing. Like there was there was times where it was just him and Shohei, though. And um, I, I think he's going to be better this year. Yeah, I think he's a platoon guy on uh, and, and on the, the bulky side of the platoon. Uh, but but I think he's going to be better. So I'm going to sell the struggles last year. All right. Uh, Joe Adele. How do we alter our view on Joe Adele? 161 games in his major league career to this point. Uh, he has a 68 WRC plus, a negative 1.6 F4, a 5% walk rate, a 35% K rate. He a fourth outfielder? Yeah. Damn. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I know there's hope for more than that. Still, he's still young. I I don't love his swing. I'm I'm I don't see it really totally happening for him at the plate. I I think he's a fourth outfielder with with power. Um, I I don't know if he can be much much more than that. Unfortunately. Yeah, I I'm with you, man. I mean, he's he's such a freak athlete. But if the swing and miss is still there, like it is, I mean the ship has sailed on that. And I think he's just going to be a freaky fourth outfielder a la Kelnick or, or Tyler Naquin, but a better athlete. So um, Marcus Semien, are we buying the power downfall? He was a 6.2 F4 guy in 2021, finished you know third in MVP voting. He was a 4.2 guy this past year. WRC plus dropped from 131 to 107. Isolated power dropped nearly a hundred points. 
average exit velocity dropped two and a half miles an hour from 89.7 to 87.3. It was a really hard go of it in the first half of the season, and then he turned it on late. Is Semyon getting back to 21, or is he a 2022 guy? This is kind of one of those like in the middle guys to a yeah. degree because I do think that the 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 impact is is slightly diminished as he's you know age, hitting age thirty two, but I still think he hits the ball hard enough and um and with the second half that we saw, I think he's going to still be pretty pretty close to twenty twenty one semi and uh, I think less give up some of the home runs for doubles, but it, when it's all said and done, I think it's going to be still a really really solid season. That's a lineup that's gotten better as well getting acclimated to the new environment also just with a new ball club. I think Semyon's going to be closer to the 131 WRC plus than 107. So I, I think Semyon bounces back this year. The second half was a really good sign. Um, I'm going to sell the struggles last year. I think so too. I, I think I'm selling the struggles as well. I'm selling the power struggles. It felt very Chris Bryant at the beginning of his Rockies tenure where it was like, why isn't this guy hitting more homers? And then at the tail end, oh, now he's hitting his homers. There we go. So yeah, I'm I'm selling it as well. Do we need to talk about Christian Pache? No. Okay. Um, Ramon Laureano. What do you think of Laureano? He, he obviously had that down year. He was coming off a PED suspension. Um, Laureano was a great trade chip conversation, and then he was really underwhelming in 2022. But you said that the projections still really like him. Um, are you buying or selling the underwhelming season of Laureano's 2022? Yeah, the projections have him, you know, in a pretty solid spot, like 109-ish WRC plus to two, two and a half at four player, which, you know, is closer to, to what he was. You know, 2019 was that big, big year from him. Um, and of course, then subsequently after was the PED suspension. But even when we've seen him, you know, in spurts, 88 games in 2021, 113 WRC plus. Look at his career, 114 WRC plus. Even last year's down year, nearly an average season uh, offensively because he was because offense was so bad. You know, overall, I don't know how 211, 287, 376 is a 96 WRC plus. I don't understand that, but it is somehow. Um, he had 13 home runs in 94 games, puts him almost on pace for 20. It's about health for him, and I really think that's the biggest thing. I think when he's on the field consistently, he's still going to be a slightly above average bat and pretty good gloves. So I'm going to sell last year from Loriano. I still think he's a good baseball player. I really do, and, and I think he's going to be you know, a 260, 20-home run guy, steal 10 to 15 bags and play good defense. So I'll sell the struggles. I think he's going to be better this year. I think he's going to be a two, two-and-a-half win guy. Yeah, uh, I'm with you, I think. Um, the, the thing that kind of caught me by surprise were like he graded out defensively as that average last yeah. year, which was really weird because the narrative surrounding Ramon Laureano was elite defender, like one of the best, which is weird because he's never really been an elite defender by, by the metrics, by the grades. Yeah. So he's I have no the, idea. The big time highlight real plays. He's made those are like, you know, no hitter saving catches. He's definitely a crazy athlete, but You'll get outs above average, you know, 2019, he was minus six, 2020, he was two, zero in 2021 and minus three. And those are in center field. And then in the corners is not much different. So, I, you know, I think he's a, he's an all right defender. I think he's been hurt. And I think that definitely 
you know, impacts the, the range and the way you're going to grade an ounce above average. So I'm interested to see how, how that looks next year too, as he's consistently on the field. But uh, yeah, it is interesting with the narrative of him being such an elite defender that for his career, he's a negative six OAA guy, uh, which right. is kind of interesting. Right. Um, last guy that I want to talk about, and he's not American league or national league, spent a little bit in the American league, spent a little bit in the national league with the Cubs. Uh, he's a free agent right now. I'm just so spellbound by this guy's fall from grace. I have no idea how to digest like what happened to Fran Mill Reyes. 115 games in 2021, 118 games in 2022. Slugging percentage dropped from 522 to 365. OPS from 846 to 638. Homer output from 30 to 14. RBI output from 85 to 47. He's still a career 780 OPS guy, but he was over 800 and one of the better DHs in Major League Baseball before this year. And he got DFA. What is Fran Mil Reyes now? <laughs> That's a great question, man. Um, apparently, apparently he showed up to spring training last year wildly out of shape. So maybe think- it's a work ethic thing. And I think that's a big reason why he's not signed right now, right? Like, well, we see so many bounce back candidates picked up so quickly. And, you know, you have a chance to get a guy that is one year removed from 30 home runs, you know, one year removed from a 126 WRC plus uh, in a game now that has the universal DH and, and we're seeing him still sit around as a free agent. Um, who would you rather have, Fran Mil Reyes or Luke Voigt? I, I personally would rather have Fran Mill if really? he was in shape. Like that that's the thing. If he's not in shape, if he didn't do anything to take care of his body, apparently he didn't play baseball during the 2021-22 offseason. Like after 2021 ended, he didn't do shits. And he showed up to spring training like he didn't do shit for five months. So that's like a horrible thing to hear, but He's a 30 homer guy. He was an 850 OPS guy in 2021. So if this guy like did get a kick in the ass after being DFA'd and now just sitting in free agency, I'd prefer Fran Mil Reyes because I think that this guy is, I mean, just it's just a behemoth of a human being that hits the ball like a behemoth of a human being. But the problem is if you're not bought into your major league career, then I can't be bought into yours either. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, I think he's kind of seeing it now, though, right? I mean, like you're you're sitting in free agency, fighting for an opportunity. If that doesn't light a fire under you, I don't know what will. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sell. Or, mm, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna buy the struggles. I mean, that's what I, I think. I think this guy. I think so. I think the league also kind of figured him out a little bit. He's he's always been a big strikeout guy. Yeah. Um, and and obviously, if the work ethic's an issue too, it's not like he is this supernatural, like just very very uh, roll out of bed can just hit kind of guy. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna buy the struggles. I think Fran Mill is. Uh, I think Fran Mill's days might be behind him at 27 years old, which is crazy. Damn, that is crazy. All right, we've taken up too much of your time already. Peter and I doing this on the National League side tomorrow. Every link you need in the episode description.